Welcome to another episode of Chelsea Mic'd Up. I am Mike Ryan Ruiz, joined as always by my trusty neutral observer co-host Chris Winningham. And Chris, I'm absolutely buzzing for the week that we have here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Tell the people what we have on deck because it'll blow so many people's minds the access that this club, this wonderful club, Chelsea FC, has granted us. Yeah, we're crazy excited. The club are flying us out to London, England to visit the Chelsea training ground, come to a game, and we're going to get a chance to talk to some of your favorite players and figures at Chelsea. From our perspective as Americans, we're thrilled. We're going to get a chance to talk to Christian Pulisic, the wonder kid that's come over from Borussia Dortmund to Chelsea in the summer. We're going to get a chance to interview him for a decent amount of time. We're going to talk to Jorginho, the midfielder for Chelsea, and the chairman of the club, Bruce Buck as well. We are told he's quite a character. We are genuinely looking forward to this, but all this can be happening on Wednesday, and uh, you'll hear it over the course of the next few weeks here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Yeah, not many people know that uh, Chelsea's chairman is from Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> so that'll be certainly uh, an interesting interview, but obviously many Americans are going to be coming over to this pod to listen to Christian Pulisic and see what he has to say. We'll try to work in some U.S. men's national team talk as well, being that he's a greatest American soccer player, many would say, already at his young age. So I've called myself Emotional Mike Ryan, and for the most part, it's been a happy emotion, joyous at times, but this is, for me, the most difficult episode of Chelsea Mic'd Up we've ever had to record Chris Whittingham, for obvious reasons. You know why? Because Chelsea lost? Chelsea lost, and moreover, Chelsea lost to Bournemouth. Chelsea lost to Bournemouth at home. Chelsea have dropped four out of their last five in the Premier League to bad sides outside of Manchester City. These are pretty bad losses. So, number one, let's break down what happened at Samford Bridge. Chelsea seems to be running into more of the same. It seems as though West Ham seems to have uh, cracked a code. And overmatched teams are going to force Chelsea to break them down. And yet again, this is another game I I smack my forehead and wonder if we only had Eden Hazard last season, (laughs) would we get a foul in the box? Would we create something out of nothing? Right now, Chelsea are struggling to find that bit of lightning in a bottle to create a goal where there's uh, not really many to be had. Yeah, and that's the beauty of having superstar players, right? That's why... Paris Saint-Germain spent 180 million on Mbappe, 220 million on Neymar because that's what they can do in a game like that that's locked up and I think that's where not just Chelsea but a lot of teams in the Premier League that are dropping results to teams like this find themselves is that even Man City don't really have that guy. Leroy Sané has been that guy for a lot of years and and he's hurt right now and they miss him. You look at Man United want to play on the counterattack. Spurs are only just sort of finding that skill. So I think it's it's the most difficult thing to do is when you are facing a team that's defending with 11 how do you break them down? And right now it seems like Chelsea's only solution is through the air, winning crosses, Tammy Abraham going up in the air and creating goals that way. But in terms of playing their way through a team, I don't think they right now have those answers. No, and the set pieces haven't been good either, especially against Bournemouth. Um, I think just the delivery and the service of some of these crosses, especially from the back line, were just sailing away. Were there crosswinds at Stamford Bridge? I'm not. It Was it drafty? Was a door left open in a certain section? It was a very rough go of it, and I don't want to just categorize what Bournemouth did as merely parking the bus. Yes, they did that for effectively for several stretches in this game, but 
they would also take the game to Chelsea at times on their counter where their speed was impressive. And I don't know, maybe it's something in the middle. Maybe Bournemouth is a lot faster than I knew entering this game. Maybe Chelsea's speed has dropped off some, but there was a considerable edge in terms of pace from Bournemouth. And quite honestly, when you look at this score, I think Chelsea find themselves lucky they only lost 1-0, Chris. Yeah, because Bournemouth created a multitude of chances to put Chelsea under pressure. You're right on that counterattack. Even the ones that didn't lead to anything. Josh King got in behind Kurt Zuma on numerous occasions. Antonio Rudiger is just returning back from injuries. So maybe it's not full peak fitness from him. And you're right, Bournemouth on that counterattack. I mean, they played their whatever their game plan was to perfection. Defend, make life difficult, force Chelsea into bad areas. If they came towards the middle, they had every answer, forced them wide, and the crosses weren't good enough. And Bournemouth just had every effective tactic that you would have in order to slow Chelsea down. The question is, what's Chelsea's counterpunch now? Now that teams have sort of figured out a formula to slow them down, what is Chelsea's response to that? Well, it's funny because this attack, when it was stalled, looked a lot like it did at times last season under Maurizio Sarri. And here we have sound of Frank Lampard sort of discussing that, courtesy of the fist and app. Uh, you can hear Frank's frustration in this clip. Today we just didn't... Um get the fans excited enough. The fans shouldn't be excited if we're going to play 10 balls across our back four. They shouldn't be. I think that's not what I, that's not the team we want to manage. If I'm a fan sitting there today, I would also go too slow, too slow, centre-back to centre-back, centre-back to full-back, back to centre-back, back to centre-back, back to full-back. And I don't want to come and see that. So it's up to Frank and the team to find answers at the training ground. <laughs> you and I are actually headed to the training facility this week. I'm not sure we'll see a lot of smiles out there. I, I hope they're happy to see the cast of Chelsea <laughs> mic'd up. I have, I have no guarantees. Um, obviously, something needs to happen here because this fixture against Tottenham is huge, and there's not only the match on Sunday, but the match that's going to be played out throughout the media and the press conferences. And you know Jose Mourinho is going to be having fun with this, catching Chelsea at a bit of the right time is Jose Mourinho. So, Chris, I don't think Chelsea's luck is they've just run into three teams that are playing their best game. There seems to be something a little bit larger at play here, and they need to find answers. And luckily, they have the talent. This is the real first bit of adversity this team has faced under Frank Lampard. Understanding that the start of the season, they had a difficult match away at Manchester United and the Super Cup, but there were still positives to glean from all of that. You have hindsight, and you realize, oh, Sheffield... They came back, and you should always put away a team when you're up two. But Sheffield's actually pretty good. The Leicester result now, in perspective, Leicester, they're better than Chelsea at this point in the season, even though they had their own battle with uh, the bottom half of the table recently. So I know the players are going to be up for this fixture against Tottenham. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere. We're going to be with the away fans. I can't wait for that experience. And speaking of experiences, Chris Whittingham, we were the host city in Miami, Florida for – my Premier League mornings live. The Fan Fest came to our town. This is my second Fan Fest of the year. I went to Austin, Texas. Miami did me proud. This city absolutely turned out in droves. Thousands of people descending upon South Beach. And a great time was had by all, except for maybe when that final whistle blew Chris Whittingham. Yeah, and it was incredible because I, one of the things that we worry about as Miamians is there's just sort of a general disinterest about everything. And so when we heard some of the numbers from the NBC folks and the Premier League folks about what they were expecting in terms of attendance, we were thrilled. We both eyes, you know, wide open going, wait, what? This is what you're expecting? And it delivered today. And I imagine on the Sunday as well that it'll be even bigger and better. So I, the fact that 
the Premier League is really catching on like this and people are coming out to events because it looks like a party. It looks like fun. People are walking down South Beach on Friday before the big Saturday matches and going, wait, what's that? I want to be a part of that. And, and that, I think, is what a lot of people grab onto with this league. Well, I think the growth of the game also means there are more supporters clubs and oftentimes people find their supporters clubs like I have on the Fist Hand app. Now I'm just watching soccer matches with my group of Chelsea fans, and there isn't really this like central watering hole where you run across several other soccer fans supporting other different teams. So you see your WhatsApp group of 35 people, and you're wondering how many people are going to come out to FanFest, and you realize that there's a whole group of people that are living in their own unique worlds, and it was just a blending of all these supporters groups. I've never seen so many Brighton fans. I've never seen so many Leicester City fans. So it, it was great to see. And speaking of Fan Fest, we had the opportunity, the privilege. Obviously, last week we spoke to Rebecca Lowe. This week, the two Robbies, Robbie Earl, Robbie Musto, they have a great podcast by that name. They actually stopped by. We really enjoyed our time. I hope that they become friends of the pod because I could have spoken to them for two days they were incredible so let's talk to the two robbies first and then close things out with kyle martino a sort of montage of nbc sports personalities here on chelsea mic'd up get the latest chelsea news straight to your phone download the fifth stand app the official chelsea app Chelsea mic'd up, and I'm sitting in the studio right now. This is really cool with the two Robbies, Robbie Earl, Robbie Musto from Premier League Mornings on NBCSN here in the United States. I'm going to get right into it with you. Obviously, I'm an American and I'm biased. Christian Pulisic, playing for a glamour club. A lot of casual fans might be tuning in to see what the buzz is about with Christian Pulisic. And your guys' experience, as you've been with NBC for a number of years now, Seeing the growth of the game here in the United States, has Christian Pulisic brought some new people to the game? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, for casual observers that are interested in American athletes and young sportsmen. I mean, what's not to love about this? I mean, it's a great matchup. Now, there's been American players who's come to the Premier League before and done very well. We know several goalkeepers. Clint Dempsey, I thought, was was a brilliant player for a long period of time and got his move to Spurs, which was a big club. It just feels different, Rob, doesn't it, with Pulisic? Because Chelsea is an elite club. And the way that he plays, it feels like this could be the star of American soccer forever, if you like. And I think we've seen added interest in our shows, in what we do, based on him. And, and I think Chelsea, apart from getting a really good player, are going to gain a lot of U.S. fans based on their interests from and Pulisic. Yeah, I'd reiterate what Robbie said. In some respects, Christian Pulisic is Brazil's Neymar. He, he, he's Francis Pogba. He's the one player that kids will associate to and, and, and the, the aspirational side of seeing somebody in a big six team, a team that's going to compete for silverware and he be an integral part. And, and it was really interesting with Christian. We went and saw Chelsea in the summer, spent a bit of time and spoke with him a little bit. And we were really keen and interested in, in, in the start of the season. And obviously he didn't start the first few games. I thought Frank managed him perfectly. But I think it was important that he saw, he had a few games, he started, and then we saw a few assists, we saw his first goal, and we've seen him now influence games. And he's different, Robbie said. We've had, there's been some, some excellent um, American players who've played in the Premier League. A number of goalkeepers, you know, the Tim Howards, the Brad Friedels, Brad Guzans. Casey Keller. Casey Keller in them. Brian McBride, Rayner. You know, great players who, who come and made a mark. But Christian could leave something bigger. He's a, he's a creative, attacking, flair player who can eliminate people off the dribble, off the passing, with, the, with his shooting. 
You're talking about somebody who can influence a game instantly, and I think that's what sets him apart. Do, do you know what? Just like up to date, those um, quotes today from Lampard as manager saying that there's so much more to come, and I kind of agree with that because Pulisic does some things on the field where you're like, wow, like he beats players quite easily. He's got great balance. And yet, what he means is, I think he will use that ability more often when his personality grows, when his confidence level grows, and he gets more com- even more comfortable where he is and what club he's at. Because the skills that he's got is pretty, pretty really good, like really good, for, even for, for that level of the Premier League. And I, I kind of, I just thought that was a, I got that comment from Frank Lampard, yeah, that yeah, when yeah, he gets yeah. super confident, Rob, then we're going to see his cleverness, yeah. smartness, through balls, assists, and all that kind of stuff much more regularly. You've uh, actually seen, with the departure of Eden Hazard, everyone was obviously, number one, worried about where the goals would come from on this club. Christian's starting to score. Tammy Abraham's been unbelievable, not shying away from the the number nine legacy over yeah, at Chelsea. Absolutely. One of the things where Christian's really stepped into the role of Eden Hazard, especially as of late, you see yeah. the confidence growing. As you mentioned, him dribbling in the box, yeah. his speed is translated. Right. It was uh, it was always interesting because I think the common notion was that he might get bullied around in the Premier yeah, League. Yeah, the is he strong yeah, enough? Yeah, but yeah. If you're fast enough to run by, you know, yeah. Jamaica's national team, right. yeah. I think you're yeah. fast enough for the, the Premier League. One of the things that we actually covered with Rebecca recently on an episode was sort of a sea change when it comes to the perception of Chelsea. As long as yeah. I've been a Chelsea yeah. fan, yeah. it's mm. been a club that's been pretty despised. Yeah. Well, how much do you think Christian Pulisic has to do with it? Because my theory is it's actually more the style of play. The infusion of youth. They're actually a, yeah. an underdog story with the transfer ban. It's a different look. I think one of the things with Chelsea going back is they were really f- the first rich club where a big owner went in and put money in and everybody was like, I, I don't like Chelsea anymore. They're, they just buying, the game. they're just buying their way to success. And that was not necessarily the case. And we've seen a number of clubs now who've got big benefactors, etc. But I think as much of what Chelsea was always built on, experienced often international footballers who knew the game, played well, and, and, and got to a certain level, won titles with Mourinho and all that stuff, Conte, uh, Angelotti and the like. But what Chelsea missed, I was thought, as a complete club was, was youth players. People who came through the ranks, one of our own. Yeah. Where's our kid who's come to the academy who now makes our first team, who now plays and, and, and is an influential Especially player. when so many of them are succeeding on loan. All, all over the place on loan. I'm thinking, why are they not being given the chance? The transfer ban was the best thing that's ever happened to Chelsea on, on a number of levels. And it made them look, take a deeper look at what they had and develop talent. And we've seen Mason Mount's been outstanding. Tammy Abraham, me and Robbie Musto had a conversation about the start of the season. We said, we like him, but is he going to get the goals? Mm-hmm. Is he going to get the goals? I mean, it's phenomenal what, what he's done and the way he's doing it. And he's got to keep that going. But so many of the kids have come in. Tamuri. Tamuri is uh, often is, the is, forgotten man. Is, is, is another one. You, you think of how James, kids. The right, yeah, the right James, back's coming into it. Excellent. Yeah. It, and you're exactly right. They've almost just become everybody's second team. Now. Yeah. We're interested in what they do. You know, a lot of English talent and, and American talent. I, I just hope that I, part of this as well, I think, is Frank Lampard. And the culture going back to the old days, maybe, mm. is, is very ruthless firing streak from this football club. And they fired a lot of managers. And it didn't hurt them. They still won a lot of trophies. But maybe now it's different. Maybe it's different with these young players coming through. Maybe Frank Lampard is going to be the man that they really hoped he was going to be because his start has been so good. We've talked many times about how super impressive he is when he talks before games, after games, his management of certain players. So maybe this new Chelsea, I agree, fast, bright, attacking football, you know, the end-to-end stuff at times. You know, Lampard will try and just be careful with that. Just just a little bit. But I think that... And a manager that is a, obviously a legend at the football club and, and the fans want to do well, 
I think the sense is, Rob, good style of football, yeah. young players, just just leave it. Le- leave it alone and let them develop and let, let them, because they yeah. will improve with more time in this league and, and make Chelsea a force to be reckoned with for many years. Robbie Earl, Robbie Musso, hopefully they become friends of Chelsea mic'd up because I could have talked to those guys for an entire day, Chris Whittingham. We now go over to the hair of <laughs> of NBCSN. And you know what? I'm he, sure he would take immense pride I, in that yeah, introduction. Yeah. I don't think he's insulted by that. Kyle Martino, obviously uh, an American voice on NBCSN Premier League mornings, and we couldn't wait to speak to him. And we got into not only Chelsea, but if you're American, you're going to want to listen to this because we sort of dissect youth soccer and Christian Pulisic's influence over the youth here. And we get into quite a bit of interesting things here with Kyle Martino. A deeper conversation than I anticipated because I just wanted to talk about his hair, but I found myself <laughs> totally enraptured by everything that he was saying. So here it is, Kyle Martino on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Now we are joined by Kyle Martino, the... The non-Robbie. The, the non-Robbie, the non-Rebecca. The circle is now complete. We have completed <laughs> the Mount Rushmore of soccer personalities I think here more in America. Like, I think more like uh, Power Rangers. Like when they all get together, <laughs> it makes like a beam of something well, that they can... What's your dinosaur? Uh, I mean, definitely a Triceratops. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the hair. Uh, know, I, uh, my whole plan in talking to some of the NBC people was just to sort of have shots across the bow over at the uh, the BR Live wardrobe budget. But it seems as though, with your ankles exposed, you are totally ready. I, I basically ask myself every time I go on air, what would Stu Holden do? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, can't, I can't hold a candle to Stu Holden's style. In your professional opinion, how counterintuitive is it to have your neck covered up by a mock turtleneck but have your ankles exposed on television? Well, I mean, Stewie is, um, for me, the most fashion-forward person out there and he's also saving some budget because that's less that's less material <laughs> that they're using and i was actually just in mallorca with steven stew we were over there uh, actually in barcelona watching messi absolutely put it on our team and i tried to go ankles exposed uh in barcelona and you never do it when you're with stew because no that'd be like putting a lot of hair gel in when you're standing next to me yeah. like, you just never do that that's like standing next to lebron and he's got the arm sleeve and you're just trying to do it with him yeah just, just don't do it you can't just do, don't it. do it i just never Never really quite got why the neck is cold, but the ankles are totally fine. It's like, um, who was it? Uh, Dimitri Martin said, um, you know, sweater vests, I, I, I don't understand. Yeah. There, there's a narrow cold front coming through town. Yeah. There was, I was watching an NFL game the other day, and Brian Flores was really mad, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, and he was really mad at the referees, and he was wearing, like, the jacket vest. It was like, uh, like you know, like the yeah. goose. A gilet, yeah. as they like to call it in, yeah. in England. And I always uh, try, try to figure out, like, okay, so what, what exact, and he, it wasn't even zipped Do you want me to help you? Don't figure out fashion. It's not It's not there to be solved. No, every time I only watch not VR there Live and I have more questions. You're thinking function. That's the wrong thing to do. <laughs> so let's get into the reason why we're here, uh, Chris and I are here, uh, Chelsea. It's been a, a really fun season. We were chatting with the, the Robbies and Rebecca, and they all came away with the same sort of notion. And as a, as a Chelsea fan, this is uncharted territory for me because usually my team is pretty hated. And yeah. now I think people have sort of well, adopted Well, you want to be hated to us. Yeah, yeah. It's not nice to be yeah, loved I know, by, but, by other fans. You but, need to be hated because you're relevant. Yeah, but Diego Costa never really helped matters. Uh, our style of, I loved him. Our, uh, me too. 
Uh, our style of play never really helped matters, but now it seems as though a lot of people have sort of adopted Chelsea, if at, at the very least as a second team because sure. they're so invested in, in Christian success. Yeah. What do you make of like a sort of sea change, really, in general, even in England, yeah. because so many English youth are now on the team. People are sort of rooting for Chelsea, yeah. whereas before they kind of hated them? Yeah, so I mean, I think it's two things. I look at Chelsea being a, a buying club in terms of finished products and not a developing club in terms of shipping out remarkable talent to Vitesse or other areas of the world um, after they just won youth tournaments and were some of the most you know youth world cups and and never got to get into the first team so I, I think you know the, the chant you know he's one of our own there's there's always this romanticism about seeing a product make their way into the first team and we want to believe in that we want to believe in a kid getting the chance it's also the story that we all hope you know and as a player you, you dream you get to play for your hometown club Chelsea being forced to, which which you know we have to put in as an asterisk, but I think Frank Frank Lampard, even if the ban wasn't there, would have trusted some of the youth. Now, Mason Mounty brought over from a previous club who he had a relationship with, but when it comes to uh, Tammy and and other players who had to go away to get their chances, it's just so nice to see Chelsea open up the gates to a really talented young class because that's kind of an anachronistic thing. We we don't see that a lot with clubs. The other factor is, you know, Christian Pulisic. And I was actually just sitting in the tent talking with Demerit about it. You know, we remember going through this when we were playing with Landon, where you know, we'd be doing interviews and they would want to ask us about Landon. Yeah. We're like, well, we actually just played in the game, too. Oh, it's but, coming. It's coming. Yeah, God. no, I know. Yeah, believe me, I prepared myself. And it's I also true. know I was never the star, so I was always <laughs> answering the Landon questions. But, um, you know, for me, there's a long lineage of incredibly talented players and over the years I'll go all the way back to like the O'Briens when he was at Ajax and um, our Jovan Karofsky was at uh, at Dortmund and and Dempsey and and Claudio and Bees you know every year there's been an American player that's just opened up the door a little bit wider for those behind them and it used to just be goalkeepers and so what's great is that at this like inflection point where not to get too political, I'm a bit worried about soccer in our country with how it's being governed and how we're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. The door was was kind of jammed open and now is is being naturally opened up for a very talented player. And the timing is great for one of our most, if not the most talented players we've ever produced. Christian coming through a youth program at Dortmund where he was given a chance, being bought for a lot of money, which tends to be a type of thing that, that can paralyze forget an American, any player, yeah. especially at Chelsea, mm-hmm. if we look at you know, Salah and, and De Bruyne and others that have come recently. And, and Christian had a tough start and now is showing the type of character and the type of talent that he has, that he will earn his right to be on the field of one of the, the biggest clubs in European football. And you, you say that cautiously because they're not the perennial powerhouse right now that they've been, you know, sort of beginning mid of the uh, Abramovich era. Yeah. But they're rebuilding something special. And I mm-hmm. think... Neutrals, neutrals can get down with that. Yeah, obviously Liverpool are having their their moment in the sun right now, but it's very exciting as a Chelsea fan because entering this season, to be in the position that Chelsea are right now in the table, to be in the knockout stages of the Champions League with a transfer ban and such a young, inexperienced team, you really feel like you're building the foundation. Probably the titles out of reach this season, yeah. but for years to come. New foundation, yeah. Yeah, you're very, uh, you're very excited. I do want to talk to you a little bit about soccer here in the United States. I know this is something that's very close to your heart, and you mentioned the youth systems. Obviously, MLS expansion with their youth academies are making this a little bit better, but there are certainly several parts of the country where 
getting into the game is still very expensive. I know Zlatan Ibrahimovic recently yeah. had a, 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 a poignant quote about all of this. What would you change about the youth system here in the United States so they can compete with the rest of the world? Well, it's funny. I, I wouldn't. I'm not going to think hypothetically. I'm. I'm trying to do it in that I'm trying to open up the games in urban areas where at-risk youth, in terms of the health and wellness benefit of playing sport in general, mm-hmm. is the first priority. To say, let's arrest this trend that should terrify everyone of a drop in participation across all sports over the past decade. Mm-hmm. And Aspen Institute of Sports has been screaming at us. You know, kind of like the environmentalists have been screaming at us. Listen, yeah. you got to wake up to a trend here that's really scary. So for me, Kerr did an amazing interview. I'm sure you saw it where he said on Men and Blazers, if I was the basketball czar, I'd make sure every kid played soccer. Yeah. You know, first, I think we have to look at it as not a zero-sum solution where we have to get kids back playing sport and enjoying it. Now, through my soccer lens, I think we need to engineer a structure that does not hyper-specialize, over-coach, and market to parents that at nine years old, your kid has to pick a path, has to get into this very non-local, very exclusive, very expensive world, and that's the only path to success. We have to reestablish spontaneous, open, free play and, and let kids find the love, find the empowerment, find the community, and then we have to create a network that can identify and coach them at a low cost. And it sounds expensive. I sound like Bernie Sanders saying, you know, healthcare <laughs> free for everyone, but it, it truly is something that we haven't focused on Listen, even if U.S. soccer, and I'm not saying they are, even if they were apathetic to this, this problem, they don't have the infrastructure or the budget as we see now. Forget the legal fees that are going out the door right now. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have the ability to do this. So we need to stop blaming others and everyone do what they can to try to grow the game at the true grassroots and for me concrete level to get kids playing again yeah i i am too particularly uh concerned about the growth at the youth level but let's talk about uh you know boomers and gen z's and millennials because the game has certainly grown with them certainly from the time that nbc started having the broadcast rights and Obviously, you're a part of such a great job that NBC has done. You're starting going to these fan fests. You see with your own eyes yeah. this sport catching on here. From when you started with NBC to where you are now, you're I like mean, me where you wish that these guys, a lot of these people weren't with a beard in their hands and that they were like seven or eight with a soccer ball at their uh, feet. Well, and they will be because people forget that kids turn into adults that have kids that turn into adults. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a cyclical nature to... Um, catching any bug, whether it's I, I still watch Notre Dame football and I don't hate football, but I don't get it and I'm, I'm not a huge fan. But every time Notre Dame's on, I'll watch because it was my childhood at home. Uh-huh. All of these parents, and by the way, they're strollers here. Yeah. These kids are now growing up in a community of football and growing up with um, a love and a affinity for a sport that truly is the greatest sport on the planet. I mean, we don't have to argue that it is, but what I want to see and it's one of the reasons I, I, I started Over Under Initiative. It's one of the reasons I think that we need to galvanize these groups and capitalize at this inflection point. We have everyone's attention. You know, when it's impossible to get people's attention, the Premier League is one of the greatest sporting competitions on the planet. And with this team that I feel very fortunate and lucky to be a part of, we have a pulpit that we're telling an amazing sports story. And people, whether they're 70 falling in love with soccer for the first time or they're seven and getting dragged to a fan fest by their parents, this is the potential of a new wave. And we have to be really smart about the fact that 
the inertia can't be the only thing. We have to have strategy to tether to this inertia of the greatest game. Kyle, I can't thank you enough for uh, all your takes, and I hope to see you're this You're going to need through. seven segments from me. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're going to learn yeah. that very quickly. It's weird that the Robbies were so much more concise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Kyle, can't thank you enough. Thank yeah. you for joining us Thanks, here on Chelsea Mike Up. We're back here on Chelsea Miked Up, and this is a rather interesting sonic experience for the Chelsea Miked Up listener <laughs> this episode. It's uh, three segments recorded in four different locations, and those are just the locations that you heard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we are now recording this from Miami International Airport. Apparently, the only hub of activity is right where we're at. Uh, it's 9.15 <laughs> p.m., and the only terminal that apparently has people coming in or out of it is where we're sat. It is actually wine o'clock. It is wine <laughs> o'clock. We're going to have a few glasses of red wine and just coast on through this red-eye flight across the pond to London. But there's going to be plenty of time to hype up our trip. You'll see us if you follow at Chelsea FC in USA on Twitter or at Michael Ryan Ruiz or at Chris Whittingham he, without uh, an H. Yep. Uh, Chris Whittingham will come up. Yeah. Uh, if you follow any of our social media handles, you will get appropriately hyped for what we're about to do in London. But let us talk about what is on deck for Chelsea, not only in the Premier League, but also the Champions League. We yeah. had a very interesting draw this week. We previewed Tottenham first. Jose Mourinho has Tottenham obviously firing on not all cylinders, but maybe is this a new normal for Tottenham Hotspur? This is not the defensive-minded Jose Mourinho that I'm used to, but I have a theory, Chris Winningham, and it's not overly complicated. Mm. Tottenham was far too good to be 14th in the table when Jose <laughs> Mourinho took over, and I think they're just merely uh, ascending to a mean Yes. Um, and the numbers are starting to work out. That being said, impressive result that they're coming off of at Wolves. Only one team prior to them had won at Wolves, and that was Chelsea. Now, I think Wolves were deserved of a point in that match. Yeah. You rarely see a header go in from that far out. From beyond the penalty spot, yeah, it almost never happens. But a win is a win, and Jose Mourinho was right to be psyched out of his mind for that victory. And... This is uh, an awkward situation for Chelsea as they head into what is now their biggest Premier League fixture of the season, riding their worst form of the Premier League season against Tottenham, who are playing their absolute best this season. If I were an odds maker, I would uh, fancy Tottenham in this match, just going off of recent form, but what we've known off of Chelsea in previous incarnations, and they usually end up playing Manchester City in these situations where they come off a terrible loss and they have, (laughs) boom, a top-flight team in an impossible fixture. Chelsea typically rise to the occasion, and it's a London derby. So perhaps let's not take recent form into account, considering there's a full week to prepare for this. Neutral observer Chris Whittingham, what do you disagree with? What do you agree with? Well, I'm really impressed with how Josie Mourinho has put together the puzzle pieces. I, I do think there's a certain amount of really any top manager, which Tottenham would attract, that they would have brought in would have figured some things out. But Jose came in with some fairly obvious answers, and it's all come off. And actually the thing that's been most impressive about how they played under Jose is how they've attacked. They've, they're have they scoring goals for fun. Now it's mostly when they've scored like that, it's been against some of the worst teams in the league. But those are the teams that they're dropping results to. Now it's an entirely different dynamic when they come against Chelsea. And I think one of the things we talked about earlier in the episode was the way that big teams play against big teams kind of suits stylistically. And I think Chelsea going away 
this is a good spot for them because what's been the common denominator in all of their losses? It's teams that defend and bunker, and I don't think Tottenham are going to set out to play that kind of game, even with Jose in charge, and I know that's generally what he does. I don't think he really does that at home, though, and at home with a team that's playing well and a team that attacks well. I think this is going to be a fairly open game, and I think we've seen in the Champions League from Chelsea that when they go away, when they play sort of level competition, they're right up for it. So I think this is a toss-up game, and I think Chelsea have every chance to go away from home and get a result, if not three points. It'll be interesting to see how Jose Mourinho approaches this game because if you've watched any recent film on Chelsea, you know exactly what problem areas Mm -hmm. that club has. However, Tottenham have been playing a certain way before Mourinho got there and even after Mourinho got Mm -hmm. there, and it's not very Mourinho-like. We'll see. If he tries to park the bus with this team, I don't know if they're best suited for that, Yeah, they they, they lost a way to Man United basically doing that. Yeah. They they weren't particularly good at it. And if this becomes a, a goal fest, perhaps that's advantage Chelsea. I know that I can't wait for this fixture. It's going to be intense. This is actually a true rivalry. It's gotten physical at times. Chelsea have ruined Tottenham's uh, trophy chase. That's probably the most iconic game that you can remember between these two clubs in recent times. Yeah, Eden Hazard securing the uh, Leicester City Championship. Also, the Carabao Wembley Final, where Jose Mourinho uh, provided us with so many memes peeking behind curtains. (laughs) So I'm very excited for this match. We're going to be there. You never really know what to anticipate when you go into a London derby. All I can really truly predict with any sort of confidence is that it's going to be a lot closer than what the experts probably think, given the recent form. I think Tottenham, if their recent play is any sort of indicator, that might actually play into Chelsea's hands quite a bit, which leads us to the Champions League conversation that we're about to have right now. Chelsea draw Bayern Munich 2012. Drink. (laughs) <laughs> 2012 reference. We got I mean, it the, the, the 2012 references are going to ramp up oh, in feb- <laughs> late February, early March. <laughs> We've got two months here, Chris Whittingham. <laughs> There's going to be plenty. But let's talk about the opponent, Bayern Munich. Now, I know a lot of Chelsea fans were probably hoping for a team without the same sort of pedigree in Red Bull Leipzig. But if you've watched the Bundesliga, Leipzig not only is a better team at the time of this recording, mm-hmm. But they're also probably more suited to give Chelsea problems given their pace and general style of play. Now, Bayern Munich, this is no knock on them. No. It's really just to praise what uh, Red Bull Leipzig has done this year. Bayern Munich have a prolific score in Lewandowski. And that's a team that, while they have run away with the league in the past, it's far more competitive this year than I think anyone could have envisioned. So I actually think, again, we've covered this on Chelsea Mic'd Up, where this is a bit of a house money year. Mm-hmm. that sort of changed a little bit. We were sort of riding high, thinking house money, house money, and now Chelsea find themselves in a Premier League fight for the top four. But in terms of Champions League, the goal was to get into the knockout round, and I wouldn't lean too much on recent results here between both of these clubs because with the winter window opening up and Chelsea's ban being lifted, we may see a very different Chelsea team. Just forget them even adding players during this winter window. You have a young team that's already shown you that they have two different sides of the coin so far this year. Who knows what sort of form Chelsea will be riding into that first fixture in February against Bayern Munich. But we can get excited. There were probably worse options for Chelsea to play. 
Bayern Munich deservedly the favorite, I think, to advance. And it's up to Chelsea to improve their form. And I think take it to this opponent that's not going to be sitting back and making Chelsea break them down, which is probably good news. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's almost as if you fear playing the the Bournemouths and West Ham's of the world rather than the Tottenham's and Bayern Munich's. And the other thing, too, you mentioned that stylistic point of view. And Bayern is really two entirely different teams in Europe. They're, I think, only the seventh team in the history of the Champions League to win all six group stage matches, and they had Tottenham in their group. They beat them twice, including that famous 7-2, but they're also a team that fired their manager this season because they've been so poor in the Bundesliga. At time of recording, they've dropped results in five of their last nine league games, and that's not they're six points off the lead in the Bundesliga. That's not who Bayern have been. Now, maybe somebody else will be managing them by the time... We get to this tie. Uh, Pochettino was linked with them for some time. Perhaps by the time this podcast publishes. Right. Given our luck, that's entirely possible. (laughs) (laughs) Ancelotti's at Everton. Who knows? Or at least stay tuned because he's expected to be announced. But we've all seen things change last second. You and I often have a saying, not until they hold up a jersey. Yes. That's yours. I give you credit. I I give a lot of people that phrase. That's your phrase. But uh, it used to be tried and true, but then Fakir held up a jersey, and then who knows what happened there. So I'm excited for this draw. I think it's going to be a pair of good matches between the two clubs. Obviously, social media has had fun with Bayern really enjoying their time in London in the Champions League, to which I say Chelsea had a pretty decent time in Munich. Yeah. So these two teams, obviously, with a rich history, plenty of time for us to get into what happened in 2012, and you know we will here on Chelsea. That's Mike what we Depp. do. But the focus for right now is what we have on deck for this podcast, which is great interviews lined up with the likes of Christian Pulisic, Peter Cech, Bruce Buck, Jorginho. This is going to be a very exciting time for us over in London. Can't wait to finally step foot into the Cobham training facility. I'm going to take my first proper tour of Stamford Bridge. So all things to be very excited about. And we go into enemy territory. Well, I go into enemy territory and you just neutrally observe. I can tell you one of the teams that I don't neutrally observe is Tottenham Hotspur. So for me, that one is also enemy territory. All right. There we go. Chris (laughs) Whittingham aboard. Ride the wave of emotion and anger and, (laughs) and petulance as we go into enemy territory with a very creatively named Tottenham Hotspur Park. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, whatever. Un- unsponsored <laughs> stadium. Whatever. It's a, it's a hole. The old place was a hole. This is a new hole. We go to New Hole. Yes. <laughs> new Hole Stadium. New Hole Stadium on Sunday. But the next time we're going to be talking to you, the Chelsea Mic'd Up listener, is going to be from London, England. We're going to be sitting across from American hero Christian Pulisic. We're going to be talking to Jorginho. We're going to be talking to Bruce Buck. See what Brooklyn Bruce Buck has to say. That's a tongue twister, and I nailed it on the first time there, Chris Winningham. I like the alliteration. Brooklyn Bruce Buck. You hear it in my voice. I'm getting hyped. This is huge. This is Spurs week. You're actually bouncing. I'm, I'm bouncing. You're bouncing. Let's go.